through the wilderness is difficult. The road ahead, dark. But we are not alone. Each step is set by God. And we keep to this path for a reason. We are chasing daylight. Hey, Cornerstone. Hey. Okay, so here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking after years of suffering to be an ASU fan, we're seeing some daylight. <laughs> just maybe there. Now, hey, just want to give a big shout out to our Santan campus, our Scottsdale campus. God's doing some cool stuff, that all just amazing stuff on those venues, and we're thrilled that that's happening on the deal. And we're in the middle of a conversation right now that we're calling Chasing Daylight which is really a conversation about what do you do in the darkest moments of your life? What do you do when God is completely unfair with you? What do you do when your prayers aren't being answered? What, do you, what, what happens and how should you and I respond when evil men are winning and good men and women are failing? What do you do in the suffering moments of life? And what we've been saying is, that in those completely dark moments, in those moments when answers are hard to come by, if you and I can just get a glimpse of daylight, if you and I could even have just a little bit of understanding of what God might be doing in those darkest moments, that glimpse of daylight is what's going to carry you and I through. And guys, this is, this is a conversation. This is something you need to know before you need it. This is something that if you wait until life is falling apart to figure this out, you, you have every possibility of shipwrecking your faith. You've got to have this in the tool belt before it begins to happen in your life. And so we're having uh, the conversation. And if you were here last week, we just talked about this whole idea that said, you know, a lot of times what you and I consider suffering may not in actuality be suffering at all. That what happens in these moments is that you and I decide, hey, this is, this is horribly uncomfortable in my life. This safety has been lost. And surely if God loved me, he would keep me comfortable and safe. And so therefore, this must be a bad thing that is happening to me right now. And we place it in the bad box. And I shared with you a little bit of my testimony uh, last week and about moments in which things just appeared to be going horribly wrong. And about the moment I was saying to God, okay, God, it'd be a good time for you to show up. It'd be a great time for you to fix what's broken in my life right now. Things only got darker. And yet what I didn't understand in that moment is that God was actually preparing me. He was teaching me. He was making me more like Jesus Christ and getting me ready for a greater assignment in my life. And what I in the moment counted as wrongness and pain and suffering was actually the hand of God in my life taking me to something brand new in my life. And we discovered together that God is not necessarily very concerned about our comfort and our safety. He's concerned that you and I look like Jesus Christ 
when he's done. Today, God's gonna come back and he's gonna have a conversation that's gonna take your and my understanding of suffering and just turn it on its head again. We're gonna be surprised by his answer, but in the surprise, you and I are gonna find another glimpse of daylight. So here you go, grab your Bibles and get ready uh, to be surprised by God. It's John chapter nine. If you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and work to the left, you're gonna find this book of John, John chapter nine. And here's what's happening. Uh, There's a man who's been born blind, and Jesus is about to encounter him, and this encounter is going to cause all sorts of confusion for the disciples. And the reality is by every human turn, you and I would look at this blind man and say, wow, he is suffering. How unbelievably unfair that he's born blind and others aren't. Why would God ever do that to this poor man? And yet Jesus is going to surprise us with the answer, okay? So here it is, it's John uh, chapter nine, starting in verse one, here's what it says. As he, talking about Jesus, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, which is simply a term for teacher, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Now watch this, guys, watch it. Jesus answers, neither, neither, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now guys, catch the moment. The disciples are walking with Jesus, going in the road, they see a blind man, and they immediately ask the question, they go, hey, Jesus, look, 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 look. How did this happen? Why why has something so dark, so unfair, happened to this man? Here's the know. The disciples are playing checkers. Here's what I mean by that. You you get that checkers is a relatively simplistic game. It's it's about a half a notch up from tic-tac-toe, right? You know, you, you move your piece one square each time. If an opponent's piece happens to be in front of yours, you can jump it. But all in all, It's a pretty simplistic game. And in this moment, the question the disciples ask reveals that they're playing checkers. Here's what they ask. Jesus, who did the bad thing that something bad would happen in his life? Because, of course, God, if you do good things, then God's going to be good to you. And if you do bad things, then, of course, God's going to discipline you. So who did the bad thing? It's kind of interesting that you and I often play checkers with God, that we really ask exactly the same questions that the disciples asked on this day about the blind man. We have moments we go, whoa, whoa, God, whoa, whoa, hey, 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 how in the hey did I lose my job? I've been faithful to you, I've been going to church, and boy, believe me, God, the sermons have been boring, and I've been going anyway. So if I've been doing the right thing, if I've been doing the good thing, then how in the world is something bad happening in my life? That just, that's not how it works. I do good and then you do good for me. That's how it works. God, I don't, wait, wait, wait. I have actually been kind to my husband and God, you know, he didn't deserve it. So why, why, why is the car breaking out? Why are my kids, I don't, whoa, 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 whoa. 
I've been doing good, which means you have to do good for me. If I were being, look, if, if I were being reckless in my life, if I were doing something that was wrong in my, if I was lying or gossiping, I get it. But I've been good, so God, why aren't you being good to me? You're breaking the deal. No, he's not. You're playing checkers with God. You realize if that really was the deal God had made with us, that if you do good, then God is obligated to do good for you. If you do bad, then God gives you bad. You realize that would make God nothing more than a vending machine. I put good in, God has to give me good back. God doesn't play checkers. And if you listen to the moment Jesus says to the disciples, who are absolutely confused with their ultra-simplistic view of God and says, guys, 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 don't miss the moment. <laughs> Nobody sinned here. This man was born this way so that a work of God could happen through this man's life. God is about to play chess. About two years ago, I was uh, sitting in, in a restaurant and uh, a young man from Zambia was at the table with me. A friend of ours turned to him and said, hey, Malinga, you need to tell Pastor Lynn your story. And I heard one of the most remarkable stories of suffering and of disappointment and of unfairness and of the glory of God that I've ever heard in my life. And I knew immediately that when we had this conversation, I needed you to hear the story that I heard that night. So we've asked Malinga to come to be here with us today. Uh, I want you to give him a cornerstone welcome. You need to hear the story. God says, guys, as he comes, listen for God playing chess. See if you can see it in the story. But let's give a cornerstone welcome to Malinga. Okay, so Malinga, you're from the country of Zambia. Uh, you uh, were, at the time, a young uh, Bible college student. And be God began to unfold a, just an incredible story, a story that none of us would ever want in your life. Tell us your story. Thank you. Yeah. I'm from Zambia. If you have your map of Africa, um, you have right at the bottom of Africa, there's South Africa. The, after South Africa, you have Zimbabwe, then Zambia. That's the country I'm from. On top of Zambia, we have Tanzania. When I finished my secondary education, I felt a strong call of God into ministry. From that day onwards, I became actively involved in the local church. I got involved in street kids ministry, would go in the streets, gather abandoned children in church, teach them the word of God, hospital ministry, evangelism ministry, and a number of other ministries in the local church. The leaders in the church saw the call of God on my life and they gave me the first church to lead. And um, about four years thereafter, I enrolled in a university and I was studying for my um, bachelor's in theology. And when I was studying in my second year at that university, our lecture was teaching us on leadership preparation and how God uses 
various challenges, difficulties, even hardships that we go through in life to prepare us for the ministries and that God has for us in life. And he went on and gave an example of Joseph from the book of Genesis and how Joseph's brothers beat him up, sold him as a slave, and later on he was wrongly imprisoned in Egypt. And through all of that, God was preparing Joseph for the responsibilities he had ahead of his life. And I was there seated listening attentively and the lecturer wanted to emphasize on his point. And I was among 12 students as a youngest student there. And he pointed at me and said, God can even take Mulenga from here and send him into prison in order to prepare him for the work that he has ahead of his life. And I freaked out. I thought, what? <laughs> that day, I went home and prayed about it. I said, Lord, I don't want anything like prison to ever happen to me. <laughs> but finally, God found his way, and I finally surrendered to the will of God, and I said, Lord, I surrender. Be it unto me according to your will. Ten months later, after I'd even forgotten about all of this, I was introduced to a man who is an African and was from the neighboring nation, Tanzania. And this man said he was doing mission work, helping orphans, widows, and a lot of vulnerable people there. And he finally gave me an invitation of going with him into his nation. And I jumped on the opportunity and started off with him. When we arrived in Tanzania, to my shock and surprise, police officers pounced on us, and the first time in my life I saw a gun and it was pointed to my head. And I asked the officers, what is going on here? They told me that the man that I was with was an international criminal, and the vehicle that he was driving, that I was riding on, was a stolen vehicle. And they said that because I was a foreigner in a foreign nation with an international criminal in a stolen vehicle, they said I must have been a criminal as well. And they ended up putting me in prison for two years. Now, you have to understand that African prisons are different from American prisons. American prisons are what we in Africa consider to be a five-star hotel. <laughs> you are blessed. <laughs> Before being taken to the very prison, I was put in police lockup at the police station. The police lockup was about the size of a bedroom, and it had a toilet right in the corner that did not have any running water. So all the human debt just piled up right in there. As we walked into the police station, you could hear this strong, bad smell. Inside the room, it was filled with bed bags all around the wall. We slept on concrete floor. The food that was provided was put in a dish and it was put in the center of the room so the strongest person ate food. It was tough. Before I was locked up in that room, I had money equivalent to $5. I decided to give away that money to the police officers for safekeeping so that I can have it later. When I was giving that money to the officer, some men who were arrested before me were seeing through the bars, and they started shouting out at me, telling me to give them the money. Finally, the officer took the money and he locked me up with them. About five big men inside that room jumped on me, held my hands and legs, searched me, and when they found that I had no money, they became angry with me, punched me, beat me up, 
and threw me right into the toilet that did not have running water. And I remember I stood the entire night in human death that was about this thick, and I cried. I said, Lord, why? Why have you allowed this to happen to me? After I've been seeking you and serving you faithfully as a man of God, I've never done anything that would deserve me to come into prison. Lord, why? Okay, so wait, wait, wait. I want to be sure we get this. So you get thrown in this holding cell. What you're calling a toilet, we would call a latrine. It's a hole in the ground. Hundreds of men have been defecating in this hole, and now these men have beat you, and they've thrown you in this hole and made you stand there for the entire night, and you spend the entire night in prayer. Yes, sir. Okay. And I cried. I said, Lord, why? One of the guys who had beaten me up in the morning called me out, and he said, we noticed that you prayed through the night. Can you please pray for us so that when we go to face our charges, we can be released? The first thought that came to my mind is, what kind of prayer can I pray for this man who had beaten me up and threw me in human waste? I actually first thought of the prayer of Elijah when he caught fire from heaven. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm grateful to God. God compelled me by his love. I prayed for them, laid them to the Lord, and prayed for God to go before them as they went to face their charges. And by the grace of God, they were released. And I remained and I spent two years in prison. So the men who beat you up came to you and asked you to pray for them. You decided to pray for these men. In the process, you led them to the Lord. Yes, sir. And then they end up released. You end up in jail for two years. Mm -hmm. Okay. From there, I was taken to the men prison. African prisons are congested places. The prison that I was in was uh, supposed to hold 1,500 prisoners, but it now had 5,000 prisoners. Inside the prison, we had cells that were meant to to hold 15 men. They now held 75 men to maximum. There were mattresses that were meant to be slept on by one person. Three people slept on them. So the way we slept, one person's head would face this direction, and another one this way, and another one that way. The food we had in prison was bad. When I got into prison, I started complaining. I thought, Lord, why? I've been serving you as a pastor, but how could you allow this to happen to me? And when I was having those thoughts in my mind, the prisoners in prison introduced me to this godly man who was serving life in prison and they respected him very much and called him their pastor. So the following day, I had the opportunity of talking with this man. I was curious to know, because I, I, was, I was curious, I couldn't figure out what this godly man was doing in prison. So I asked him, sir, when did you come into prison and what did you do for you to come into prison? He said he has been in prison since 1973. He's now 41 years in prison. I asked him, what did you do? He said, the place where he was working as a young man, some of the people he was working with had killed a man. And when the officers went there, they arrested all of them and put them in prison. And he was sentenced to be hanged to death for a crime he did not do. When he was put in prison, he decided to surrender his life to Christ. And when he 
gave his life to Christ, he prayed a prayer saying, Lord, if you spare my life from being hanged to death, I will serve you. Three months later, God answered his prayer. Instead of being hung to death, he was uh, given life imprisonment and he was allowed to mingle with other prisoners inside prison. And from that day onwards, that man started preaching the word of God faithfully. He would run from one end of the prison to the other end of the prison, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And up to this time, over 40,000 people have come to know Christ through him. When I heard the story of Marshall, guess what? I stopped complaining. I stopped having pity parties. Because I came to understand that here is a man who has suffered much more than I have, and he's been in prison for more years than I've lived on earth, and yet he continues to serve the Lord faithfully. So the man inspired me, and I started preaching the word of God with him every day. So this was our daily program in the morning after having our, uh, uh, being released from the lockups, we would preach the word of God. In the afternoon, after having our main meal, we would continue preaching the word of God. In the evening, I had the rare privilege of sleeping in a cell that had 75 men, um, and it was called a reception because all the people who came into prison for the first time had to spend their first few days in that cell before they were transferred. And I had the privilege of preaching the word of God to them. And I'm grateful to the Lord that during my time in prison, I got to preach the word of God to Muslims, to non-church goers, to atheists, and other uh, different kinds of people. And I saw God save lives in prison. I saw lives transformed. And I'm grateful to God for that privilege. Okay, so just... So you end up on this assignment where you're not being housed with the normal prison population. You're in this room that really in many ways is a holding tank for other prisoners. So as prisoners come in, they're, every day a new group of prisoners is coming to this room and then they, they either get put in your prison or they get assignment to other, prison, other prisons, but you've got this steady stream of men coming in and every single day you're preaching the gospel to them because that's your privilege. Exactly. Okay, all right, just want to be sure I got it right. Thank you. Okay. I am grateful to the Lord. When I was in prison, during the time, every day we had to preach the word of God, we would see by the grace of God about four people. I would lead four people to the Lord. That's an, an average number. Sometimes there would be more, sometimes lesser. But four people is an average number that I led to the Lord. And I'm grateful to the Lord that during the two years I've been in prison, I was able to lead uh, that number to Christ. I don't, I don't know if we just did the math in our head or not, but, you know, Malinga's saying he led about four men to the Lord every single day. If you're in prison for two years, that's about 2,000 men you led to the Lord while you were there in prison. Yeah. How did I get out of prison? The man who had deceived me and conned me, telling me that he was a, a person helping people in Tanzania, was arrested with me. And by the time he had spent six months in prison, his true colors had manifested. The man was a wicked criminal, a crafty criminal, who by the time he had spent six months in prison, he had deceived, conned, and made enemies with the most feared criminals in prison. 
The man had plans of escaping from prison, and when his plans failed, he decided to end his life by taking an overdose of medicine. Instead of dying, he became unconscious for two weeks. When he became unconscious for two weeks, the prison officer in charge of the prison called me, and he said, Mulenga, we know that you are a man of God, and we know that this man is a criminal and he led you into all of these problems. Now that he's sick, leave him alone, don't help him. Because if you help him, the police officers and the magistrates at court are going to conclude that he is your friend, and you are his ally in all the criminal activities. So leave him alone and let him die. I am grateful to God that when I walked into prison, I carried my Bible with me. And I read that Bible every day. I prayed through the Bible every day. And as I read the Bible, I felt the word of God become alive to me. I felt the Lord speak to me, strengthen me, encourage me, and gave me the grace to go on. As I was reading the Bible, I came across Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, where the Bible says, love your enemy. And I felt the Lord speak to me through that verse. And I had the challenge of, of obeying the word of God or taking the advice of the prison officer in charge, and by God's grace, I decided to obey the word of God. And off I went, reaching out to my enemy. This man was sick. He was unconscious for two weeks. He could not go to the bathroom. He had diarrhea. He could not eat. And nobody else in prison wanted to help him because he was a wicked man. And God told me to care for him, so I started caring for him. I washed his clothes, picked him up, took off his debt, uh, went to line up for his food. Then I would go back and line up for my own food. It was tough for me. I remember in those days I grew thin. Even prisoners in prison looked at me with pity. In those moments, I started asking myself, I thought, what's life? What's the meaning of life when you're wrongly in prison, when you're sleeping in a place full of bed bugs? What's the meaning of life? It was in those moments the Lord started teaching me that life is an opportunity that God gives to us. Life is an opportunity to love, to serve, to honor God and mankind. Even though I was in prison, God had given me a great privilege to love my enemy, to save my enemy, and to preach the gospel in prison. And as I preached the gospel, I went on telling the Lord. And as I continued ministering to this man, washing his clothes, I said to the Lord, Lord, I love you and I'm doing this for you. As I care for him, as I wash his clothes, I'm doing it as an expression of my love to you. And as I said those words to the Lord, amazingly, I felt the presence of the Lord rest on me. I felt the peace of God that transcends all human understanding, and God gave me grace to carry on in prison. Okay, so let me, again, I want to be sure we got the story. So the very man who got, had you wrongfully imprisoned ends up trying to commit suicide. He now is comatose. He's for two weeks, he's got diarrhea. You're bathing him, yes, you're taking care of him. This is in spite of the fact that the constable at the prison came and said, Malinga, don't have anything to do with this man because if the officers see you caring for him, they're gonna think you're his friend, they're gonna think you've conspired with him, and, and they're gonna assume that you're guilty. And instead, you said, my Lord has commanded me to love my enemy. And so you end up standing in line, getting him food first, yes, then having to go back and feed him that food. Now the line has gone all the way down. Most of the food is gone. Now you have to go stand in the end of the line to get your own food. Yes, sir. And you do this because God said, love your enemy. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you. Yeah.
two weeks later, that man recovered. And finally, when the day of defense and judgment came in court, he stood up. Before everyone else, he pointed at me and said, this man is an innocent man. He's a pastor, and I simply carried him in my vehicle like an ordinary passenger. He doesn't know anything about all my criminal activities. And those words he spoke opened the door for me to be released, and I went outside prison, and he was convicted for 10 years in prison. Guess what would have happened to me if I had disobeyed the word of God and not loved my enemy? He would have died, and his case would have remained on my shoulders, and I would have been convicted for 10 years in his place. When I look back at everything that had happened to me, do I regret it? If God had given me the power to change my past events, could I change them? No, I wouldn't. When I read the book of Deuteronomy, chapter eight, verse two to four, the Bible talks about a time God took the children of Israel out of Egypt and led them into the promised land. But before he led them into the promised land, they spent 40 years in the desert. And the Bible tells us that God led them for 40 years in the desert in order to humble them, in order to test them and see what was in their hearts, in order to teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And in order to discipline them the way a father disciplines a child that he loves. Friends, I believe God led me into prison for two years in order to humble me, in order to test me, in order to see whether I would obey his word or not, and in order to teach me that man does not live on bread alone. Man does not live on good food, comfortable bed, and all the luxuries that we long for in life, but man lives on God's word and his word alone. And in order to discipline me the way a father disciplines a child that he loves. After coming out of prison, God led me back to Zambia, and from there, God opened opportunities for me to come and share my story here in America. And finally, God gave me a, a scholarship at Baylor University where I'm studying for my Master's in Divinity. Today, I confi confidently declare, just as the book of Romans chapter eight, verse 28 says, that in all things, God works them together for good for them that love him. I believe God has worked out my story for good. Hmm. Malinga, thank you. Thank you, man. I, I just want to speak honor on you because if we're honest, God gave you an assignment that none of us would ever want. And yet you lived those moments with honor and grace, and you showed Jesus in a, in a place that none of us would ever even imagine our lives being. Thank you for being that kind of a man and a man of character. Thank you, man. I want us to pray for Malinga, that God would continue to write this amazing, remarkable story and that you and I have only seen the beginning. Hey, dearest Heavenly Father, thank you for this man. 
Thank you that in the darkest moments of his life, he allowed you to play chess. And God, I just ask, I ask that you would honor him, honor him, honor him. That God, you have only begun to do what you're gonna do with this man's life. That we would stand back in years to come and say, we remember when. And yet God has exalted him and used him in ways that even our hearts could not have imagined. Thank you so much for Malinga. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Okay, okay, do me a favor, grab a seat real quick. Because here's the question. Did you see God play in chess? Remember the moment as Jesus was walking down the road, his disciples turned to him and say, who sinned? Was it this man or was his father? And Jesus says, no, you don't get it. You're playing checkers. Watch, 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 because this man was born for the work of God. You get what Jesus is saying to those men in that moment. Before the earth was ever created, before time ever began, here's what God knew. God knew that I would be walking down this road today. God knew that this man would be here and that he would be blind. And God knew that there would be a crowd. And here's what he knew about the crowd. That there were people in that crowd who would never darken the door of a church, which means they would never figure out me. God knew that there were people in the crowd that if he pushed into them, if he gave them a spanking, if he tried to convict their hearts, they would have pushed God away. But those very same people, seeing a blind man healed, would stop. And they would say to themselves, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, God must be real. And suddenly they would listen to the story they had rejected. Is it possible that before the foundation of the world, God saw a prison and he knew that literally thousands of men in the most desperate part of their life would be funneled through that incredibly dark, horrible place. And that God, in absolute love for those men, criminals, would say, who could I put on assignment? Who could I stick in that holding cell who would stand there as an innocent man living that moment so remarkably, so amazing that those criminals would stop and say, tell me about your Jesus. And that literally thousands of men would come to Christ because that man was on assignment. Which brings you and me to the moment. What if? What if there are people in your life? What if there are nephews who are never going to figure out Jesus by going to a church service or by God convicting their hearts? What if there's a coworker at work who's never going to understand the story? What if you've got a neighbor down the street? And what if God playing chess says to you, look, I'm going to ask you to do something that's hard and it's unfair, and it's highly uncomfortable, but it is their chance. It's the only way they'll ever figure me out is to see you live this moment so well that they'll know God is with you. What if God is playing chess with you? 
would you take that assignment? If it meant your nephew would finally find God. If it meant your neighbor would finally become a Christian. What if, what if your and my struggle is actually the very work of God in our lives? Let's bow our heads. Some of you today, you're, you're neck deep in struggle and suffering. And as we've had this conversation, all of a sudden you went, oh my goodness, I don't think this is about me. I think it's about my dad. I, I think it's about my brother who's so far from God. And if God were to push into my brother's life, he would never respond. But maybe my brother seeing me honor Jesus in the darkest moment of my life will get his attention. Maybe it's my neighbor, maybe it's my coworker. But I think I realize today that just maybe I'm on assignment. want to ask, if you're here and if God's speaking that to your heart, if you say, you know what, I, th I think maybe that's what's going on. It, this, this thing that I was calling suffering isn't even about me. It's about the people around me seeing Jesus in me. I think maybe I'm on assignment. And here's what I just want you to do. I want you to consider just slipping your hand up and putting it back down so that you'd acknowledge, not to me, but to God, to say, God, I think I get it now. I think maybe I'm on assignment. I think you're trying to reach somebody through me and through what you've asked me to do. Okay, I see hands all over the room. Okay, I get it. I get it. Let me ask you what may be even a harder question. What if God came to you tomorrow and your life's going okay? I mean, things are all right. But what if he called you to assignment? What if he said, hey, I've got a journey. I, I've, got, I've got a moment that nobody else is going to want to live but I'm gonna ask you to live it. Because there are people in proximity to you, there are people around you who are never gonna figure out my son unless they see my son in you. And so I'm gonna call you to a season. Would you take that assignment? And I'd just like for you to consider right now that if you say, you know what, God, I, not that I'd want it, not that I'd ever choose it, but if you asked me, I would take it. And I'm just gonna ask you to quietly, with everyone's heads bowed, just say, yeah, I'm gonna raise my hand, I'm just gonna say, God, if, if you need me, I would take that assignment. I, I would do that if you called. It's a hard hand to raise, isn't it? It's a hard hand to raise. Dear Lord Jesus, we're discovering all sorts of things about suffering together. And what we've discovered today is that you actually care enough about the people around us to ask us to be uncomfortable so that they might see you in us. God, I, I, I pray for these who just a few moments ago raised their hand and said, I think I'm on assignment. I think that's probably why my life looks like my life is right now. I don't think it's about me. I think it's probably about my neighbor or my cousin or my friend. God, help them to live this moment like Malinga lived his moment in such power and glory that people who are far from you would be drawn to you because they can't explain the life of a Christian. 
they can't explain an innocent man in jail giving praise to God. God, I pray for some of us who aren't on assignment today and we're gonna get called. (laughs) There's gonna be a moment that you're gonna ask us to live a moment that's filled with unfairness and wrong. And God, when that call comes, when that moment comes, give us the courage, give us the strength to do this as well as Malinga did it, as well as the blind man on the side of the road did it. That people far from you would be drawn to you. That a Christian would live like that. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.